a few Sundays since I've been here at the podium, uh, but a few weeks ago, um, I talked about, um, I talked about, I did a message called The Pathway to Engagement, and uh, specifically about what that means here at Faith Community. And we talked about four on-ramps uh, on this pathway. And the on-ramps that we talked about are connect, serve, give, and invite. Connect, serve, give, and invite. You want to get engaged with your church and have a full uh, church experience where you feel a part of what's happening. Connect, serve, give, and invite. And we talked specifically about that. And if you missed that message a few weeks ago, I just want to encourage you to check it out. It's on our website, on our media player. It's on our podcast. Um, we could even make you a CD if you still use a CD player. Uh, it's a message called Pathway to Engagement from October 21st. So I just encourage you to check that out because it really is the precursor to what I have to say today. We're taking a couple Sundays uh, to talk about a couple things specific to uh, life in our church. It's exciting to be a part of what God is doing. Uh, in our church and in our community and in the lives of our friends and our family members and to be along for that journey. It's exciting to see what God is doing in our church and through our church and sometimes in spite of our church because we don't get everything right, but we're committed to constantly improving and evaluating and recalibrating and asking questions because we want to be in a place where God can use us. Now, if this is your first time at Faith Community, I don't just say those words because I realize that every Sunday we have someone here for the first time. Sometimes those first-time guests are just passing through on vacation and they see our sign or they've looked us up on the internet. Uh, they're, maybe they're in church looking for a church home because they're new to the area and they haven't found a place to land yet. Maybe they're here because they're thinking it's time to make a change from where they've been. That's sometimes all right, too. And maybe they've been on a long detour on their spiritual journey and they're just making their way back into a relationship with God. Or maybe they're here because they're here at someone's invitation and they're here just to get their friend off their back. So if that's why you're here, that's cool. We're, we understand how annoying that friend can be. Enjoy lunch after church. So it's on them, you know. So if you're here for the first time, uh, you're going to hear a bit of an inside scoop into uh, what makes us tick here at Faith Community and what gets us excited and what motivates us. So this morning, there's going to be an element of this is who we are. And then for those of you who call Faith Community home, there's going to be an element of this is where we need to be going this needs to be elevated in the life of our church experience. This, this hopefully is a little refocusing, a reminder of the target on the bullseye. At Faith Community, we've said for years that our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus for the good of our community and the sake of the world. We want that mission statement to have a local and global application. We want to create an experience that unchurched people love to come to. We want to create environments where whether you attend church or you don't, whether you're coming back to church or whether you're coming for the first time, whether this is part of your family story or you're wanting to write a new chapter in your story, we want everything about your experience here to say that you're welcome here. We want you to have every opportunity to explore who Jesus is and what he's all about. We're unapologetic about our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus because we truly believe that nothing changes your life like a relationship with Jesus, right? And we believe that because he's changed our lives and we want, to, we want to give our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors an opportunity to explore what that means and to ask their questions. So this morning, I want to talk about just one aspect of how we are attempting to accomplish our God-given mission. There have been times when this has been a higher priority in the life of our church. And honestly, right now, we don't think it's quite where it needs to be. So we're going to be addressing this when it comes to our calendar, when it comes to our planning, when it comes to our budgeting, when it comes to our volunteer roles. We're turning it up a few notches on this one. So I want to talk for a minute about the word neighbor. <coughs> neighbor. When you hear that word, there's probably some sort of emotion that comes to you. And I know that we live in a predominantly rural area, so most of us don't live in a neighborhood. Um, and even if that's true, perhaps there's a time when you lived in a, in a neighborhood, though. And maybe you lived in an apartment with other families. You get that. Here's the thing about neighbors. Neighbors, over time, get a reputation. In fact, there are probably people here who have, uh, maybe there, you've had neighbors of yours that have, that have definitely, you can think of that right off the top. You're grinning right now because you are thinking of that neighbor of yours that has a reputation. Maybe in college you had some dorm neighbors who had a reputation. You could smell their reputation before you could see it. You know what I'm talking about. 
Maybe some, oh, you're all so innocent. Maybe someone near you has a barking dog reputation. Maybe they have the gardening or the yard work attic reputation, the yard of the month reputation. Maybe somewhere near you, you've got the loud music neighbor. That was me at one point, because my neighbor told me so. Maybe you've got a fireworks neighbor. How many of you had a new neighbor show up a few uh, years ago when fireworks were legalized, right? Yeah, so, oh, and you, hi, Doug. And you probably, <laughs> I love that, ah, that was so, that's just awesome. Um, you probably, here's the thing. You, I know my reputation. I'm the doesn't care about his yard neighbor. I know that. That's me. You and I probably have a neighbor reputation too because maybe you're the yappy dog neighbor. Maybe you're the yard of the month neighbor. Maybe people in your neighborhood uh, living in proximity with you uh, uh, know what your reputation is and you have no idea. But you have a reputation with your neighbors. Now, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, there's something here that you already know about what, what Jesus has to say about our lives. And, and if you aren't really actively following Jesus, you've probably heard what I'm going to talk about. This is um, an expectation that Jesus has of all of us who call ourselves his followers. And it's simply this. The expectation is that we are to love our neighbor. That's the expectation, that we are to love our neighbor. And immediately, the question that comes to mind when I hear that, and probably when you hear that, is the same question that was posed to Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Okay, so who is my neighbor? Who are we talking about exactly? Who is my neighbor? Is it the person who lives next door to me, literally? Is it the person who lives next door to me, even though that's two and a half miles away? Is it the person who sits next to me at work? Is it everyone that I work with? Is it the person I sit near in church? Or is it everyone at church? Who is my neighbor exactly? If I'm expected to love my neighbor, it would be helpful to know who exactly we're talking about. And I would prefer that that circle be kept very small, as small as possible. Because, uh, you know, my family, my friends, and, well, wait, some of my friends, and maybe a couple people from work and a few people from church, that would be great with me. Does it have to be any bigger than that? So the question that we're really asking ourselves is, who around me do I need to care for? Because basically, if we're, if, we're, if we're being honest, it's a rules-based question. So Jesus, who is included in this? Who counts as my neighbor and who doesn't? Because there are some people in my life, if they're included, this is just too challenging. This is too hard. I don't see how this is going to work. So we're going to look at the words of a religious legal expert who asked this same question. You probably know where we're going. You know how Jesus responds if you're familiar with this passage. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 10 uh, to get us started. We have, an, we have an event on the Bible app today, as we try to do most weeks. And uh, somebody dropped the ball on that a couple weeks ago, but somebody was actually a week ahead of himself and scheduled it for November 11th when it should have, or November 4th when it should have been the 11th, so sorry about that. If you're on today's event in the Bible app, you see all the scripture we need today. Otherwise, let's turn to Luke chapter 10. This is one of the most familiar stories in the entire Bible. We're going to start reading at verse 25, and I just want to really, we're going to take our time with this. I might go a little long, because this is a familiar passage, and I feel like we need to be deliberate about addressing and reading some stuff that we're super familiar with. So, let's read verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The law of Moses would be the first five books of what we know as the Old Testament. The Jewish leaders of the day would have followed the laws of Moses. They memorized most of it. They could recite huge portions of it. So Jesus says, well, what does that say? What does the scripture say? How do you read it? What does it mean to you? Verse 27, the man answered, <coughs> you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Moses from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Verse 28, right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. This is the interesting part. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Undoubtedly, there were people he wanted to argue were his neighbors, and there were people he wanted to argue were not his neighbors. And this was actually a common debate at the time. Is it just my friends who are neighbors, or is it my friends and the person who actually lives next door to me? Because I don't want the circle to be too big. 
there was a debate about how big that circle should be and who it should include. So he wanted to justify who he was already choosing as his neighbors. He wanted to know because this is how they operated. This is how the practice of their religion had come to be. He wanted to know what are the rules. And Jesus replies to this uh, question with a story. And this is a story that you've probably heard if you grew up in Sunday school or in church. And with the children's church, you've seen the flannel graph. You've heard the story. You probably acted it out. You colored the coloring pages. If you aren't familiar with the story, you've definitely heard the term Good Samaritan. That's found its way into our culture. This is, that's, this is where the expression comes from. Jesus replied with a story. Let's read it, verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. <coughs> he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So here he is, this Jewish man, half dead beside the road, verse, which always made for an interesting flannel graph in Sunday school. Verse 31. By chance, a priest came along. This is interesting. It's the priest, the leader of the temple. We all know uh, what we expect him to do. Uh, the guy, he, he loves God. He's serving God with his life. He's going to do the right thing. He's going to do something about this. This is a leader in the temple. He's a leader in the community. Uh, he's, going to, he's going to do something about this situation. A wrong has been committed. He's going to make it right. Verse 31. But when he saw the man lying there, what did he do? He crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. See, according to the Jewish law, if that man had actually been dead, the priest was not to come into contact with dead bodies. So that would desecrate him as the priest. It would have made him ceremonially unclean, um, which wouldn't have been the end of his life, but there would have been this long, involved process that he'd have to go through just to be able to do what he needed to do in the temple. So he's thinking, that guy's a mess. He might be dead. Um, This could get messy for me. I don't want to get involved in someone else's mess. I'm just going to cross over to the other side here and avoid this situation. Verse 32. A temple assistant walked over. This is like the priest's right-hand guy. He made things happen around the temple. He walked over and he looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. A Samaritan who the man lying in the ditch would have looked down upon. He might have even spit in his direction as they walked by each other. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. It says, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritans soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Verse 36. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The question that he's asking, who is my neighbor, is the same question that we ask. Who around me should I care for? What are the rules around who I am expected to care for? And I love how Jesus answers his question with a question because what Jesus is saying throughout this story is, do you have a heart that cares for people? That's the heart of the story. This man asked a rule question. What are the rules? And Jesus is saying, it's not a rules thing. It's a relationship thing. And the relationship question is, do you have a heart that cares for people? For all people, the people that you come across day to day over the course of your ordinary days, wherever you encounter and interact with people, wherever you, uh, wherever you engage with people, are you so worried about who is your neighbor that you're actually forgetting and neglecting to be a neighbor? Are you forgetting to actually love people that were called to have the same compassion that Jesus has for people? I came back to this familiar passage of Scripture this morning because there's something here that we've been talking about in some of our leadership circles, and it's something that we feel really strongly about, and we've been compelled to elevate this principle in the life of our church. So here's the deal. You and I don't often run into people who have been robbed by bandits, okay? So it just doesn't happen that often in Ellsworth, Maine, or in Hancock County. But we do run into people who feel like life is against them. People in our community feel like life is against them. This may be more true today than it's been for a very long time. When you're standing on the soccer field, or you're sitting in the bleachers at a basketball game, or in the seats during your kids' dance class, or wherever you're, whatever it is your kids are into these days, 
or you go to a school thing to watch your grandkids perform. It's that season, so get ready. Wherever you're with people and you talk to people, Wherever you talk with people today, perhaps more than ever, people feel like life is against them. We've, we've never seen people, I don't think, have so much and feel so empty. I don't know that we've ever seen families struggling so much. I don't think I've ever seen marriages struggling so much. We have our garages and our basements and our attics and our sheds and our storage units so full of stuff that we don't even know what's in there. And yet so many people that we know are spiritually poor. We've definitely never seen people so connected digitally and yet so alone in real life. We think we're connected with one another because we think we know each other's business because I liked your thing on Facebook or Instagram. We've never seen so many people who look so good on the outside. I mean, the image they're curating on social media, it looks so good. It looks so put together. It's so desirable. And yet there's so much pain just beneath that surface. Here's the thing about this. We have over 54,000 people living in our county. And so many of them feel like life is against them. I've had conversations with people where they talk about their jobs and they talk about their finances and they talk about uh, family life and their marriage and their kids and they talk about health stuff and they say something like, I just don't know what the deal is. It's just one thing after another. I just feel like God is against me. It's a common sentiment. So many people right here in our community In our county, they feel like life is against them, and then they feel like God is against them. And they look around at their life, and they know that life is against them, and they're pretty sure that God is against them. And that's somehow a logical step for them in their thinking. The thing they don't know, and the thing I wish we could communicate more clearly, more effectively, is they don't know that Jesus is for them. That's the thing. Some of us have discovered the joy that knowing Jesus brings. Some of us have experienced the hope that comes along with knowing Jesus. Some of us know what it is to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We know about the stories that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, and the lost sheep. We know about Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well and those kinds of things. We know the stories of his healing miracles. Because we know the story of Jesus, we know that he's for people. We know that he's in their corner. But there's still so many people in our community that don't know that. Maybe they used to believe it. Maybe they wanted to believe it, but they're convinced that life's against them. So we've got to find a way to tell them that God is for them. We have to tell them that God loves them, that God wants to have a relationship with them through his son, Jesus. So the question that begs of us is, how do we do that? How do we let our community know that God is for them? I'm convinced that we, and I mean, I mean all of us in, in this community who are followers of Jesus and whatever church that you find yourself in, I'm convinced that we haven't done a very good job of this. I think we've done a decent job of communicating some things. We do a really good job of communicating what we're against. But I don't think that the message that Jesus is for you has gotten, I think it's just gotten lost in all the other things that we get distracted with. So here's where I'm at with this right now. I don't think people in our community, the people that we work with, the parents of the kids that our kids go to school with and play sports with and the people that we do business with and the people who live near us, I don't think the people in our community, listen, will ever know that God is for them until they know that we are for them. So at Faith Community, I'm proposing that we need to be more than ever, we need to be for our community. There's something that happens when someone gets in your corner. When you're in the fight that we call life and you look back and there's no one in your corner, it's a sinking, alone, life is against me feeling. But when you're in the middle of a battle of life and you feel like you're going down and you look back and there's someone in your corner, there's someone who says, I'm praying for you, I'll text you, I'll call you, what can I do for you, how can I help you? When you see that someone is in your corner, it changes something and it makes a difference. And when you see that God is in your corner, it changes everything. So we've said it for years around here, and I've, I've even taken, personally taken a little heat for this statement, but I still believe that the church is the hope of the world. And I know the pushback. Here's the pushback I get. No, 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 Todd. Jesus is the hope of the world. I get that. Hang with me. But let's just listen. Jesus isn't here physically. 
Have you noticed? It's been a while since he's been here physically. He isn't going to show up in a tangible, physical way in your life right now. When he left this earth and ascended to the Father, he left a little group of followers, just a few hundred people, and he said, now you go and make disciples. And while you're doing life, in your going, make disciples. It's up to you. I'm trusting the work that I started into your hands. In fact, you are my hands and my feet in this world. You're my body while I'm gone. And because Jesus left his church here to carry on his mission, when the church is functioning as Jesus called it to function, then I believe the church is the hope of the world. And people aren't going to know that Jesus is for them until they know that we are for them, until they know that the church is for them. And I don't just mean Faith Community Fellowship. I mean all of us who are followers of Jesus. They aren't going to know that Jesus is in their corner until they know that we are in their corner. I think at its essence, that's what the church is all about. It's why Jesus set up the church the way he did. It's why the Apostle Paul called the church the body of Christ. When people see that we're for them, then maybe they'll understand that Jesus is for them. We need to be for our community. Listen, the people in our community need Jesus. People in our community need a church family. People in our community need you more than they ever have before. So some of us have been having this conversation uh, about what it means to be for our community. We want to be for Ellsworth and Trenton and Lemoyne and Hancock and Bar Harbor and Mount Desert and Surrey and Blue Hill and Deer Isle and Sedgwick and Sullivan and Winter Harbor and Steuben and Millbridge. I hope I got your town. Because we have people from all those towns who would call this church home. You're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling with your kids, you're struggling with life in general, you should check out Faith Community because, man, those people are in your corner. We want that to be true of us. We want to be for our community. So the question is, what does that actually mean, to be for our community? As I've been talking, you've uh, probably been wondering, you know, okay, that's great, nice concept, what's this mean? I'm going to give you some practical suggestions, okay? First of all, being for our community is about who we are when we gather and who we are when we go. It's two wings of the same bird. It's who we are when we gather, and it's who we are when we go. In fact, it's right in the name of our church, and we chose this name on purpose, the Faith Community Fellowship. We've always said that the word community has two meanings. It's, it means biblical community, the one another verses in the, Old Test, or in the New Testament, to love and be loved, to know and be known, to serve and be served, that kind of thing. Biblical community when, we, when we're together, and it's the community that we live in. Uh, we've always spent a lot of time and energy and resources in the gathering part of what we do. There's always, I don't know if you sense this or not, I've lived with this my whole adult life, there's a sense of urgency around it because Sunday comes around with alarming regularity. Every seven days, we need to have a message ready for this room. We need to have some music prepared. We need all the visuals that we've come to rely on. We need to have lessons and materials ready for all of our kids' ministries. That thing that was broken last Sunday needs to be fixed for next Sunday. Is the heat working? Is there propane in the tank? Did the parking lot get plowed? Are all the people in all their places for Sunday? Because it's coming. We put a lot of energy and a lot of resources into Sunday mornings, and we should, because we love creating environments where people can come and gather and experience acceptance and ultimately, hopefully, experience God. We love to create environments and experiences where you can feel comfortable inviting your friends and your family members and your coworkers and your neighbors. Maybe some of them, by all appearances, are far from God. Maybe some of them have had some bad experiences in church, because who hasn't? Maybe the struggle, they're struggling with something right now and you really believe if they could just come on Sunday, they might find God in this place with all these people who mean so much to you, who've helped you so much on your journey. So there's kind of an urgency about the Sunday morning gathering, the gathering of people, and there should be. We should put a lot of creativity and a lot of energy into the Sunday morning experience as long as it's kind of the front door of our church. And as long as there are people far from God and, and unchurched people who, whether they know or not, are, are longing for connection with their Heavenly Father. So today in our church, it takes 30 to 32, depending on the week, 30 to 32 fully engaged, committed, dependable volunteers to do what we do on Sunday morning. Some of you remember the early days of Faith Community when we launched in the, in the summer of 97 and we were renting the tennis courts at what used to be the Holiday Inn. It's a lovely setting. And then a few, it's warm and inviting. And then uh, a few months later we moved to the old Ellsworth Middle School 
Um, and then a few months uh, later, we found a long-term portable home at the, at the YMCA. Some of you remember showing up on Saturday night in the heat of the summer and in the cold of the winter. We'd get our gear out of our cars, trucks, and vans. We would unpack the gear in our shed, sound equipment, video systems, huge curtains, tables, chairs, everything we needed to do a version of what we do now. About a dozen of us would set up, usually on Saturday nights. If there was an event at one of our, at the venue, it was sometimes late at night. And in about an hour, we'd be ready for church the next morning. And then after church on Sunday, everybody would jump in and we'd tear it all down because we heard kids bouncing basketballs in the lobby of the Y waiting for us to clear the gym. And we'd put everything back the way we found it or even better. All that took a lot of energy, took a lot of innovation for eight and a half years. Then we bought this building, a, a, a roller skating rink slash electrical supply warehouse slash informal hangout for kids. Uh, and after six months of three nights a week and all day on Saturday with all volunteer labor, we moved into this property. And we found other things to occupy our attention and demand our energy and our creativity and our focus. But let's, just let me remind you this morning. Our focus, our energy, our urgency still needs to be on who we are creating these environments for. Who are we inviting? Who in our lives desperately needs Jesus? Who in our life has questions? Who needs deeper connection with a meaningful community? Who needs some positivity? Who needs people in their corner? There needs to be an urgency around the gathering. But there also needs to be an urgency around the going. We have to have urgency about the going. That when we walk out these doors, we're passionate about the people that we interact with in our community. So we can stand up here at the front and we can say our mission is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. And we can put it on our website and we can hang it on a wall and we can get excited about that. My question is, are we truly passionate about leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus when we walk out these doors. When we go into our jobs tomorrow, when we go to school tomorrow, when we do business and life in our community. Or do we just hang our faith community hat up here back there in the coat rack and then go out in the community and kind of do our thing for the other 167 hours of the week? Because that's probably for somebody else to do. I believe God wants us to put our full passion into the gathering and the going. When all of our energy and passion is on the gathering but not in the going, then we're kind of like the priest and the temple assistant in Jesus' story. But we want to build the kind of church that where people know, hey, the people at Faith Community, where I interact with them, they are, whenever, wherever that is, whether it's in their, on their property or somewhere in the community or at work, they're in my corner. They're like behind me. They are for me. They're cheering me on. They want me to succeed and thrive. So much so that I want to be with them when they gather. And I want to connect with them when they go. That's what we want to see happen. So let's make this really practical and give you four things that I want to challenge you with. And I think some of these might really be a challenge, so hang with me. Four things that we could do to be for our community. This has a potential to, to be an incredible adventure for us and for you and for your household. Whenever you, uh, whenever you go on a memorable adventure, there's one thing I can guarantee at some point, there's, there's a little bit of uh, uncomfortability. That's the thing that kind of sticks out, and that's okay, and it's even a good thing, because uh, I've, I've never known Jesus to show up in our comfort zone. If he does, he's only there for a moment to push us out of it, right? So I'm going to propose that we focus on these four things for the next 14 months, all the way through the end of this coming year of 2019. We're gonna, let's lean into these with a passion for our community. We're going to keep talking about it for the next few months. So number one, I'm going to suggest to you and challenge you to be four, four families. I chose a num the number four because it's easy to remember because we're talking about being four. So we're going to be four, four families. You have less capacity than that, that's fine. If you have more, that's fine too. But we're going to be four, four families. Four families, four individuals, however you want to approach that, that you already probably have some level of friendship or acquaintance with, and you're just going to be in their corner. I feel like we've kind of gotten started with this in the last few months with our family prayer team because every family in our church that wanted to be a part of this has, has one to five families praying for them. And I love going into their home and seeing your pictures on their fridge. It's really cool. We're starting to figure out what this might look like. 
four families or four individuals who don't know that Jesus is for them. Chances are they won't know until they know you're for them. Four families, four people that you're going to connect with, that you're going to support, you're going to pray for. What exactly does that look like? Let me give you an example. This is just an example. Do with it what you want. In the summer of 1975, how many of you remember that? My dad took his, really? You don't remember summer of 1975? I won't ask what you were doing then. Okay. This is an ancient history to all of you. Come on. In the summer of 1975, it was a while ago, my dad took his first full-time pastor. He was four. Uh, in, actually, my brother was. In, uh, in a little church in an extremely rural community in Nova Scotia. You can't say rural community. It's extremely rural community in Nova Scotia. Our frame of reference is always telling people we're an hour and a half from the nearest McDonald's. So that's, and that's still the case, actually, there. They packed up the family. My brother and I were four and six. And we moved from our house four doors up the street from our grandparents in a suburb of a growing progressive city to a little farming and fishing community five hours away. That little church had 12 people attending Sunday school. So when we arrived, they grew by like nearly 50% on that first Sunday. That pastor actually included four and a half churches. Now, yep, four and a half. Dad can explain that to you someday. Uh, honestly, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a pastor like that or a church like that, but Honestly, by this point in that church's, in that, that community's story, they'd become accustomed to become, being forgotten by their denomination. They'd become accustomed to getting pastors who were putting in their last couple of years before retirement. Pastors didn't come to that pastor to stay for any length of time. The denomination certainly didn't send anyone with a young family and youthful energy and a vision for the future. This was a new day. And when mom and dad arrived in Lower Granville, Nova Scotia, and decided from day one that they were going to be for the community. They didn't necessarily say it this way, but looking back, that's exactly what they did. The community responded. I remember trips to town that were never just trips to town. They almost always involved a pop-in visit somewhere along the way. I'm not suggesting we reintroduce pop-in visits. I'm just saying it was a different time. I remember sitting for hours. I'm talking cumulative years in the car while Dad was in a place of business running a quick errand. I never understood what could possibly have taken so long for the, dropping off a print job. How did it take two and a half hours? I remember stopping at a, different homes on our way home from town, sitting around, playing outside while our parents had an impromptu afternoon tea that often just morphed into dinner. I remember living in two different parsonages. Again, kind of a weird concept. Google that sometime. You can, if you don't know what a parsonage is, you can Google it right now. Um, a couple of you know what I mean. The one thing that stands out in my memory of my childhood homes, though, was the time that people spent around the kitchen table. So I brought a small visual aid this morning. <laughs> this is my kitchen table. Um, it's been my kitchen table for nearly 30 years. But before that, it was my parents' kitchen table. It was given to them by one of the deacons. He built it in his shop and gave it as a gift to them in 1976. I went to the trouble to bring in this rather large visual aid today because, man, if this table could talk. Literally, hundreds of people have spent thousands of hours around this table because our childhood home was a place that was four people. People were comfortable in our home, and they must have been. They stayed for hours and hours. And they were comfortable because my parents decided that they would approach ministry in that little church in that little community with a for-the-community attitude. This table made the move with us when our family moved to Texas. And then a few years later, Mom and Dad bought a new dining room set, so I claimed this table. It's been a fixture in our house for nearly 30 years. And not much brings us more joy than sitting around this table for hours with friends. Especially when those friends just need to know that we're there, that we're for them. At this table, we've wept over marriages when people just needed someone to listen. At this table, I've seen people sober up. At this table, I've spent time with teenagers trying to figure out how to survive life with, at home. At this table, I've seen people weep over a loss. At this table, I've had people tell me why they can't do church with me anymore. 
At this, people, at this table, I've seen people laugh till they cried. And at this table, I've seen people prayed with. Here's the power in this. A lot of the people that I've seen at this table, I had already seen at church. Some of them I saw at church eventually, singing songs and worshiping God and enjoying the fellowship of their Christian community, serving the church and having their lives changed by Jesus. All because someone decided to be for them at their kitchen table. And I know your kitchen table has probably never been to church like mine has. <laughs> but <laughs> there's nothing special about this table. There's nothing special about the people who invited others to join them at this table. And yeah, I've seen hundreds of people at this table. We're asking you to start with four. Being for people isn't about making people into projects either. It's about a posture of your heart. Do you have a heart that cares for people? Why does it make such a difference? Because you choose to be intentional and you choose to be available. And choosing intentionality and choosing availability creates a possibility of changing someone's eternity. Think about that. Someone's eternity could be changed because you decided to be for them. Because maybe through you, they'll discover that Jesus is for them. So, that was a, that, I went all over the place to make that point. But that's point number one. Let's be for four families in our community, four people in our community. Second thing I want you to do is we're going to create better spaces for people in our community. We're talking about our gathering. What we have in our gathering is occasionally awesome. Uh, we just expanded our space in Jammers last year in our preschool, preschool space. And we want to be flexible and hold loosely to the way that we do things and the way that we utilize our space in order to accommodate more people. And can I say, especially young families. We don't apologize for catering to young families, right? We're cool with that. We're all right if their kids are vocal and running around and all that's cool. And uh, we're not distracted by that and we don't scowl at them, right? Because we don't. Because we want them here. Because if they don't know that you're for them, they'll never know that this church is for them. And if they don't know we're for them, they may not realize that Jesus is for them. We learned uh, yesterday and Friday night in a parenting conference that we had here, a little retreat, retreat with some video teaching from Paul David Tripp. A lot of our frustration with kids, with our own kids, comes when we realize that we need to parent them. <laughs> so... Uh, Maybe, you're, maybe the frustration, your frustration about little kids distracting you from your worship experience is maybe you haven't communicated to that family that you're for them. Amen. Gather them in, bring them in, sit with them, lend a hand. Um, we made an investment in some space last year. We also made an investment in our sound system as well. And on the technical side of things, we were maxed out. We were constantly, you know, patching things up and working around things to accommodate what we're trying to do on the stage and with our sound, with our instruments, with our singers. And I don't know about you, but for the most part, and Garth's not in the room right now, so I can say this, but for the most part, most of the time, just teasing, most of the time, I like our music, most of the time. Um, and some of us in our worship team, we've been talking about this lately, so I know they're okay with me saying this. We're, the people on stage on Sundays playing instruments and singing, we're all amateurs, every one of us. Very, we have, there's very little formal training in our band. We have a very limited knowledge of music theory. For some of us, our only experience in music is playing in a worship band or maybe playing with this worship band and then singing on this worship team. What we've concluded is that when we come together as a team and the posture of our hearts is in the right place, God is able to use that in a way that's greater than the sum of its parts which is one thing I really love about the church. And when our attitudes and our motives and our moods are in the right place, God can use everything that we have to offer. And he multiplies it. Having said that, we've been having these conversations with our worship team that we want to be open to continually tweaking what we do with our music. Some of our songs won't have staying power. We sing them for a while, and then they're relegated to the archives. Sometimes we know that even when we introduce a song, we know this song isn't going to last for long, but it's good for today. And that's okay. If you miss the old songs, 
feel free to listen on Spotify. They're archived somewhere. Someone will play them for you, all right? So feel free. But we're committed to just always learning new music. Some of those songs will stay around longer than others. Because we actually think that trends matter. Uh, so we're open to changing things in, even in our music, whether that has to do with the style or the instruments that we use or the number of singers that we use. Uh, we have some things to learn about what's happening in current music, not only in the church, but in music culture at large. We're going to keep working at that. Um, we're willing to do whatever we do, have to do with our music to improve the gathering. Uh, in the new year, we're going to make some improvements to some more physical space. Um, we're going to make some improvements in our welcome center in the lobby. And uh, that space is pretty much as it was when we opened this building in 2005. Uh, it's gotten dated. It's time to freshen it up. I, I believe first impressions matter. Um, environments matter. Uh, environments communicate what we value. So we're going to make some improvements there in that space. We're going to say no, more about that probably next Sunday. Um, and we're going to make some improvements uh, in our Treasure Bay room as well. Um, so we just want to be committed to creating better spaces for people. Third thing we want to do is we want, we want to be for our community partners. For our community partners. We want to be for as many people in Hancock County as possible, and we realize that we don't necessarily have the expertise or the personnel to provide all the services that our community needs. Okay? For example, there's no plan for Faith Community to open a food pantry because Loaves and Fishes Food Pantry in Ellsworth is doing a phenomenal job with that. We want to come alongside them and be a part of what they're doing. We're going to continue our partnership with Loaves and Fishes. Speaking of which, there are some envelopes by the offering box as you leave today. This is their time of year where they intentionally ask for financial support. So there's some envelopes there for Loaves and Fishes. You can either take the envelope, put it in the mail, or you can put something in the envelope, put it in the box. We'll make sure it gets to them. We want to continue to partner with organizations like Loaves and Fishes. There are no plans to create a cancer research chair because the American Cancer Society is doing that and Relay for Life is the face of that in Ellsworth and we've been a big part of that and will continue to be as long as we feel it's serving our community. There are no plans to build a homeless shelter uh, as a part of Faith Community because the Emmaus Center is doing an incredible job of that and some of you are involved with that and you support that ministry. There are no plans to launch a nonprofit. Uh, foster care support because Safe Families for Children is doing a great job with that. And we want to come alongside them, learn a little bit more about what they're doing. They're kind of brand new in our town and support their mission. We don't need to organize transportation for seniors or disabled people because Friends in Action is so effective at that. We should be more engaged with that. See what I'm saying? We want to, what we want to do is continue to partner and to partner more effectively with trustworthy organizations like these that I've mentioned and others that are already meeting the needs of our community. We don't have to in reinvent the wheel. What we, what we want is to, to do more of, and we're just starting to have some of these conversations about getting more intentional about this over the next few weeks, is we want to sit down with community partners and talk about ways that we can be more engaged. How can we be more involved? How can we support your mission? Because it fits with our mission. What can we do? Um, let's find some tangible ways to communicate with people who are leading, people who are involved with these amazing organizations, and let them know that we're here, we're available, we're for them. So we're going to be for our community partners. And the last thing I want to say is, uh, just has to do with something I've observed. We've seen so many people uh, start their spiritual journey, or maybe take significant steps in their spiritual journey, on an invite to church at one of the two Christian holidays, at Easter or at Christmas. We've never done the big pageant thing around either um, holiday, but we have tried to be a little more intentional about the gathering experience on those weekends. So that's what I'm just going to kind of call that. We just want to be a little more intentional. Some of you came at Christmas, first time you came. And you came and you were far from God. Some of you came at Easter. You'd never given church a thought. And you came at Easter and you stayed and you've been here for a long time. You just kept coming. You start exploring and asking your questions, and maybe you've been here ever since. So in a few weeks, we're going we're gonna to host a Christmas night of worship. We're going to have some dessert. That got your attention, right? We're going to have some dessert and coffee. Thanks for being such a great illustration of what I was just talking about. That was awesome. I'm glad you're sitting right in the middle of the room just like we planned it. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, we're going to have some dessert and coffee and an evening of worship with music and scripture and maybe even some familiar Christmas carols. We can figure out how to play them. We're excited, we're always excited about these opportunities that the calendar offers us a couple times a year to share who Jesus is and to bring a memorable, meaningful experience at Christmas time. 
So we're asking you to help us with this. Last year, our Christmas night of worship had the second highest attended thing we did all year next to Easter. So we're asking you to, to serve either on that Thursday night or on the night of worship or Christmas Sunday morning on the 23rd. We're asking you to invite someone. That's kind of the expectation. We're all going to invite someone. We're going to put postcards in your hands next week that you can give to people. We'll print more if we need to. Invite someone. Those four families that came to mind, those four individuals, invite some friends, invite some family members, invite some coworkers, some neighbors. If they know you're a Christian anyway, and they should, they know you go to church like all the time anyway. They're already expecting you to invite them at Christmas time. So don't let them down. Here's the thing. When you look at those four things, ultimately it comes down to people. This isn't about growing a big church. It isn't about big numbers. It isn't about big programs. It's about people. It's about the relationship with God in the present. It's about their eternity in the future. And people in our community will know that God is for them when they know that we are for them, when they know that you are for them. This is my 30th year uh, in this community. Over the years, I've uh, seen some churches start in this town. I've seen some churches close their doors. Years ago, someone challenged me with this question. They said, if your church ceased to exist, would anyone in your community notice? If our church ceased to exist, would anybody in our community notice? That is a sobering question. Think about it. Imagine if faith community became known as a church that is, known, that is for you. Oh, yeah, faith community, those people are in your corner. That people knew, oh, when I, needed, when I need someone in my corner, it, it, they're for me. And if they're for me, maybe God is for me after all. Maybe they're right. So we're going to move on this. We're moving some people into leadership on a community engagement team. And in 2019, we're going to, do, we're going to be better in this area. We're going to be better in the areas where we're already involved in community life. And beyond that, we're going to get involved in some new areas of service in the community. One of the ways that we want to keep this uh, for the community mindset at the forefront is we're going to start using a hashtag. How many of you know what a hashtag is? That's right. It's the panda on The Tonight Show. That's right. Um, if you don't know who pa hashtag the panda is, then just you've got to watch a little more Jimmy Fallon. How many, how many of you know how to use a hashtag? I mean, you think you do, but you haven't quite figured it out. You can't really explain it. You just use them. A hashtag is that little number sign in front of a word that you've, you've seen it around. You've seen it. If you're on social media, you've seen it. You've seen it in people's posts. You've seen it in advertising. You've seen it on TV. It's hashtag. It's pound sign and then a number sign and then some words. Uh, you, you don't, you're familiar with it now, but it doesn't register because you don't really know what it's for. Um, all a hashtag does is it makes it easy to search for things related to that word on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and on some level on Facebook. We've been using Facebook pretty effectively for several years now, and we'll continue to use it. We've dabbled in Instagram. We're going to get more intentional about that. We haven't gone to, done the Twitter thing because who has the time? Here's the thing. <laughs> this isn't really about a hashtag, okay? We're not going to change the world with a hashtag. It's about e an easy-to-remember phrase something visual, something that will remind us what we're about. So I figured why not add the hashtag to the front of it and we'll use it on social media too. If you've noticed, we've already started. So we're starting to use the hashtag for Hancock County. The truth of the matter is we draw from 18 of the 36 towns in Hancock County and a couple in Washington County. But just to keep it simple, we're going to use Hashtag for Hancock County, because the hashtag for Hancock County and Washington County is really long. So you'll see it online, in emails. You'll see it on the big screen in this room. You'll, you'll see it on our marquee. You'll see it on posters, maybe even on T-shirts. We'll use it to tag certain activity on social media. We've already started to do that. We encourage you to use it, too. Um, and we'll do a little tutorial on hashtag use and how to use them in different social media platforms. What we really want is for this to be a conversation starter. Okay? If you don't have a clue what social media is or where the power button is on your computer or why people are always staring at their phones, um, this, don't tune out because this can still be for you. We want it to be a conversation starter. For instance, example, I have a collection of Guatemala Mission t-shirts. You think, you wear that shirt all the time. No, I don't. I have a closet full of them. Um, and I, here, I wear them on purpose, and here's why. First of all, I like the design. I think the designer did a great job on it, and I like to promote his work. I am frequently asked about it. 
it'll blow your mind how often I'm asked about it. You've been to Guatemala? Oh yeah, what part have you visited? Was that part of a, you're there on vacation? You're there as a part of a mission and the door opens. I'd like to see if we can do the same thing, open some doors with a hashtag um, for Hancock County. What's it mean? What's that mean? You got that thing on your, you're wearing that t-shirt that's gonna be available soon. You're, you got a thing on your car. What's that, what's that for Hancock County mean? You, you tag stuff in your, on your social media all the time. Hashtag for Hancock County. What's that mean? Oh, it just means, it's a hashtag that we started using at church. It just means that we're for you. We're for our community. So let me wrap this up. And I know I've gone long. Thank you for hanging with me. We're going to identify four families or four individuals to spend time with in some kitchen table conversations. We're going to continue to create better spaces here for the sake of people in our community. We're going to get more involved with community partners. And we're going to be a little more intentional about creating effective experiences here and inviting our friends into those experiences where they just might encounter their loving Heavenly Father. The band's going to come to the stage. And uh, would you go? There he is. Um, the band's going to come to the stage. Go ahead and come. The guys are going to come move the table. Careful, it's uh, sacred. We're going to... We're going to sing a song that we've resurrected from the archives that we've, and that we've chosen on purpose for this morning. And as we're singing, we're going to hand out these little um, window clings that just say, um, hashtag for Hancock County. Um, just peel the back off and stick that on, a, on your window in your car. Um, and here's the, here's the thing. If you're going to put it on your car, be prepared to have a conversation about it. Okay, be, pre- be prepared to answer that. What's that mean? Be prepared to have a conversation about your experience as a follower of Jesus and why you're for your community. Can we stand together and we're going to pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We're humbled. You've chosen to use people like us to carry on the work that Jesus started. Thank you. What a privilege that is. Pray that we take that seriously as we take anything in our lives. Thank you for the example of the story of the Good Samaritan. Thank you for the clarity of that message. Pray that you'd open our eyes to the people in our lives who we're called to care for. God, I pray that as individuals, as families, as households, as a, as a church, we'd reflect your, your values, your priorities when it comes to the people in our lives. We trust all this in your hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.